So one of our pillars as a church, we have four of them, um, and we have spent you know, our, our formative years, we really very deliberately dived into pillar one, which was creating zones of presence that facilitate encounter. That was our absolute number one, unapologetically, without question. And yeah, I said for years, if we do nothing else but that, that's what we're going to do until that is really, really established. Now, I don't think there's ever a time where that's fully established, where we are you know, we're worshipping deep enough, wide enough, high enough, um, and stewarding his presence well enough that we can just, we'll never move on from that. But pillar number two seems to be where, um, out of that, the Spirit is really drilling in right now. And pillar number two is about equipping people to live an excellent supernatural life. Now, what does that mean? Now, it's not just an excellent supernatural life, as in so that you can prophesy and get words of knowledge and do all of that kind of stuff. Although we want to do that really well, we want to do that excellent. It's about having an excellent life that is characterised by the supernatural, but it's not just that. It's about having an excellent life. We are called to proclaim the excellencies, Peter says, of him who called us out of darkness, out of, his, out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we are building into actually living an absolutely excellent kingdom life that will be supernatural in nature, but it's not just going to show up in prophesying, healing, words of knowledge. It's going to show up in the creative ideas that you get when you're in your workplace. It's going to show up um, in, in the way that we treat and walk with each other. It's going to show up in the way that we run our businesses, the way that we create stuff, uh, the way that we do everything, because heaven has a culture around everything. And that's what we're, that's what we're on the road to discover. So we're not here to just equip us to do churchy stuff, okay? I'm just want to be really obvious about that. We're not just here to be equipped to do churchy stuff. We're, we're here to be equipped to do life and to do kingdom life incredibly well. And there are certain seasons where the decisions that we make have a disproportionate impact as compared to the rest. And when I say disproportionate, I mean there are some seasons in life where the decisions you make during that season are more important than in other seasons, and I believe we're in one of those seasons right now where the decisions that we make in this season, in this squeeze that we are currently in, will have a disproportionate impact on our next season and the ones after that. In other words, what we choose right now determines our ceiling in the next season. Does that make sense? What we choose in the middle of this squeeze will determine the level we rise to in terms of our expression, our manifestation. I'm not just talking church, I'm talking about you, your life, your destiny, the things that you are created to do. That will obviously impact our church as we gather. But primarily right now, I'm talking about you and what God wants to actually pour through you. If you've been around church a while, you would have heard of the prayer of Jabez. It's hidden in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Um, and it's in the middle of, yeah, Chronicles has lots of, lots of chronicles. It's very historical. There's lots of genealogies and this person begat that person who begat that, who fat that, who whatever, you know, just all that stuff that you could so easily go, oh, this is the boring stuff. I'm going to skip over that to get to the story stuff and slap right bang in the middle of that in 1 Chronicles 4. There is this prayer from this dude called Jabez. It's, yeah, such and such begat Jabez. And it says, and Jabez prayed, O Lord, that you would enlarge my territory, that you would bless me, sorry, that you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory and that you would keep me from sin that I might not cause others harm. And then it just says at the end of that, and God granted his request. And then it just moved on to the rest of the genealogy, boring stuff again. 
And so it was so easy to miss that in the middle of it. But it is one of those so utterly pregnant things that there was something absolutely pleasing to God about this prayer of this dude called Jabez, who we never hear of anywhere else in Scripture. As far as I can remember, I don't think we hear about him anywhere else ever, do we? I'm just looking at two other biblical scholars in the room and they're both shaking their heads. So that's a um, Cam, you know either, that's three. No, okay, so pretty safe to say there is no other mention of this guy in Scripture, but there was something about that prayer that caught the heart of God, that you would enlarge my territory, that you would expand the sphere of my influence, that you would expand me as a person that caught the heart of God enough to to kind of blow up a whole genealogy thing in Scripture, to shove that thing in there in a completely inappropriate way. In a God sense, if you know what I mean. Because if God does it, it's entirely appropriate. And I believe we're in a season right now that is determining our largeness in the next season. What we choose right now determines our size for the next season. What he's doing is he's, he is working on our wineskin. He's working on our wineskin. Now, the wineskin in Scripture, I mean, a wineskin is a container that holds wine. And there's one primary Scripture in the Gospels where Jesus talks about you can't pour old wine into new, new wineskins and all, all of that whole deal. So the wine is a metaphor for the, for the movement and the flow of the Holy Spirit. And essentially what he's saying is the wineskin has to be appropriate to the wine. Because if the wineskin's not appropriate to the wine, then the wineskin will burst. And then the thing that is really valuable, which is the wine, gets lost because it can't be contained. Our wine, the wineskin that he is working on in us, this is not about just better or different church meetings. I know I'm kind of harping on that. I just, it's so easy in the Western church, especially in suburban Sydney in the beautiful Bible belt of the Hills District to think everything we're talking about is all just about church. This, we, we're in here like two hours a week. So there's got to be something more, right? There's got to be something bigger than that. Otherwise, the good stuff is relegated. Now, hopefully it's an awesome two hours in the week. Let me tell you, that's what we want. But it's got to be bigger than that, right? Otherwise the kingdom is relegated to two hours of the week and there's another 166 of them that God is actually really interested in as well. So he is preparing you and me in working on the wineskin, he is preparing you and me to carry something that we haven't carried before. So that, that song that we've just, we just finished with, yeah, New Wine, it's, it's a real song for this season because... The new wine comes through crushing, it comes through pressing and squeezing and all of those stuff that sounds awesome when you're making wine, except when you're the grape. <laughs> and when you're the grape, it sucks butt, right? It's just not fun. <laughs> so he is wanting to take ground in you so he can take ground through you. That's what's happening right now where we're being squeezed and we've been through some, you know, we've workshopped some stuff, we've talked through some stuff over the last month around looking at those areas where we're frustrated, we're angry, we're depressed, we're discouraged, all of those things. And they're the areas that are being squeezed right now. So what I want to dive into briefly tonight is, and I believe this is a really critical decision that is going to determine our size in the next season, and that is simply this is are we choosing a life of convenience or a, a life of convenience or a life of conviction? 
I believe this is one of the fundamental choices that he's asking right now because when things are uncomfortable, really easy to bail. When things stop being fun, especially in our culture, I mean, I'm, I'm probably the biggest fun lover just about anywhere I know. And I, I know like seven people, right? So <laughs> I, I do love fun, right? Almost to the annoyance of my wife because um, I will try and make anything fun. including being in hospital in the emergency room. And I'm trying to, this is a while back, I'm trying to crack jokes and the nurse is going, this is not funny, I need to fix you right now. And I'm like, I thought that was funny. Anyway, maybe it was something to do with the fever. But, um, but when things stop becoming fun, we want to check out because we're so used to, the world around us is so geared to our entertainment and our enjoyment um, that when it stops, and we come to church with that mindset, and we come to God with that mindset, so when he stops being fun, we kind of go, you're not so fun anymore, you go to the corner, I'm going to be over here. Um, so I want to paradox, just for, not paradox, because they're two things that live together, these two are not supposed to live together. I want to um, compare, contra- contrast, probably. Juxtapose is even better. Yeah, love it. That's an awesome word. It's so cool. Juxtapose. I'm going to try and fit that into a sentence again before the end of the night. Around what a life of convenience and what a life of conviction looks like. And the very first part of the, the juxtaposition, that's five syllables. I'm on fire, right? Five syllables. Um, the very first contrast is to do with our relationship with discomfort. So a life of convenience minimizes discomfort wherever possible. The moment something feels uncomfortable, I find a way around it, out of it, off it, I avoid. Out of there. Whereas a life of conviction actually is willing to lean into discomfort. When something's uncomfortable, I I was having a bit of a squeeze myself in a business transaction that I was doing a couple of weeks ago. Um, And... When there's a lot of warfare around in the spirit, for me anyway, this is just for me. When there's a lot of warfare around, I'm pretty good at keeping my happy kind of together and just and really keeping watch over that. But in reality, as well as that, I'm like 10 seconds away from being really cranky. (laughs) It's just, it's like I'm doing my best. I'm keeping focused. I'm keeping, oh, that's so, like, it's just, it's, it's a volatile kind of season. And... One of those kind of things kind of came into my world and I just went, and I was almost like going, oh, you know, just stuff that client, just screw it, too hard, walk away. And then I went, oh, hang on a second, what are all the things that are, where do you feel frustrated, annoyed, challenged, all of those, so I thought, oh, okay, I'm feeling that right now. So I th- and one of the questions I'd asked you to ask yourself is what am I believing about my ability to influence this situation? And I had to get honest and go, oh, I'm actually believing I have no influence in this situation. Is that a healthy belief? Not at all. Step back, looked at the situation, crafted an email, waited a while, which is always a good thing to do when you're crafting an email in one of those moods. Crafted an email, sent it off. Now it's actually in a better position than it was before. And it was just one of those little reminders, hey, hang on, in this kind of season, when things are uncomfortable, like it just took one simple statement that I heard I can't remember, you know, copied into an email or something that just went, ah, oh, stuff this. It was, it was literally that quick. And then I thought, no, hang on. 
Lean into the discomfort of this. Do not believe that you are small. Do not believe you have no influence. A life of convenience minimizes discomfort wherever possible, whereas a life of conviction will lean into it. Why is this so? Because a life of convenience focuses on how I'm feeling, whereas a life of conviction focuses on who I'm becoming. You've probably heard me say it before, emotions, emotions make terrible, terrible masters. They make awesome servants, but they make absolutely terrible masters. Um, their ac- emotions are actually, their data about what's important to us, they're actually not commands. That's actually worth writing down, by the way. Emotions are not commands. Just because I feel anger isn't a command to do something with it. I actually have a choice about that. I'll get stuck in that too hard if I stay in there, but let me just, I'll leave that out there. So if I'm living a life of convenience, if I feel bad, I'm going to do whatever it takes to either avoid that feeling or make that feeling go away. Whereas when I lean into discomfort, when my focus is on who I am becoming, I'm understanding that my values and my convictions guide me, not my feelings. My values and convictions guide me, not my feelings. And I understand that in that focus on who I'm becoming, my decisions today determine the size of my territory tomorrow. So when I see a problem that feels bigger than me, my question, my my goal then doesn't become how do I get that out of my world my goal then becomes who do I need to be to step up and address that I posted something on Facebook that was a, a, um, something from Lance Wellno this week that said whenever you face a problem how did he say it um, don't let it out of your grasp until you have interrogated it questioned it why it's th- questioned why it's there and demanded that it bless you <laughs> I didn't quite do the quote right, but it was close enough. You get the idea. In other words, do not let this problem out of your sight until you've interrogated it, you've found why it's there, and you don't let it out of your sight until it blesses you. Because I look at that problem and I go, right now, that problem feels bigger than me. It feels bigger than my resources to deal with this. So rather than go, so therefore I will check out, I will avoid, I will whatever, I go, who do I need to become to become bigger than that problem? Who do I need to become to become bigger than that circumstance? That's the focus. A person whose life is about convenience, their life is about them and me and my immediate circle of responsibility. My world, my job, my kids, my responsibility, anything outside that, well, that's, that's kind of someone else's problem. Whereas a life of conviction says my life is but much bigger than me and what I choose impacts way more than me. This is especially true in a family, in, in the family of God. What I choose doesn't just impact me. We're, just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that this is more, I mean, obviously it does impact you a little more in that sense, but it's true for every single one of us. What we choose, how we choose to show up and worship, whether we choose to show up and worship, doesn't just impact you. And we might, you know, some days, are we allowed to be honest? Some days we don't feel like showing up either. (laughs) Okay, is that okay? Am I allowed to actually say that and be honest about that? 
You know, there are some days where we're cranky, where we're grumpy, and the last thing I feel like is like actually being spiritual, let alone trying to lead others in being spiritual at the same time. <sighs> Shocker, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. And anyone who's ever led anything would say amen, right? <laughs> there are some days where you're just not feeling it. But I understand, hey, my choices don't just affect me. It might feel uncomfortable for me to step in and to step out and to actually enter into that, but my choices don't affect, just affect me. My choices affect all of us. You know, Paul says, we belong to each other. Therefore, watch what you choose. So a life of convenience focuses on how I'm feeling, minimizes discomfort, my life is all about me, whereas a life of conviction leans into discomfort, focuses on who I'm becoming and says my life is much bigger than me and knows that what I choose affects way more than me and actually what I choose now actually has a generational impact as well. Proverbs says a wise man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. We often think about that in terms of money and look, bring that on. You know, I'm all for a massive inheritance. I often talk to my in-laws about what's happening with my inheritance. Um, sometimes that goes all right and sometimes... Anyway, at least they entertain me and kind of laugh and go, ha-ha, yeah, but I'm spending it anyway. Um, but it's not just a financial thing. A wise man leaves an inheritance for their children's children. In other words, what I choose now is saying I'm sowing something into my character that is opening up a door for future generations to walk into. That is the kingdom mindset. In other words, the kingdom mindset says, when it says a wise man leaves an inheritance for their children's children, I'm thinking two generations ahead in my choices. I'm actually thinking of a generation I actually may not see in the choices that I'm making now. That's a big deal. But that's a big life. That's a, that, that is an enlarged, conviction-focused life. I'm not just here to take up space. I'm not just here to be an oxygen thief. So let me ask you, what are your convictions? What what are some of your convictions? What are some of your convictions about who God is? What What are some of your convictions about what he is like? And we're going to explore this a little over the next week or two. Because it's too easy to let our experience, our current circumstances, determine some of our convictions, which actually means they're not convictions at all. The word circumstance, it's fascinating. Circum means to go round. Yeah, like if you're circumnavigating Australia or circumnavigating the globe, you're going around it, right? So circumstance, my circum... (laughs) Stance is around my stance. In other words, ultimately, I've said this in different ways before, my life is lived from the inside out. My, my circumstance is in my, my circumstances of life are actually built around my stances. The stances that I take based on the convictions that I hold. So what are your stances as to who God is in your life? And how much does your experience determine that versus what you're convicted and convinced of about God determines how you approach your circumstances? Um, today's is an important anniversary in my world. It's seven years today since we lost my dad. And last night, 
I had some t- when I had some, I say I had some time after everyone went to bed. I took some time because it was about all I had um, over the weekend to just do so, as I like to around the anniversary. I like to step back and I like to reflect and just remember because he was an important dude in my world. If you're wondering why my eyes and I look like hell and my makeup just isn't right today, it's my eyes are still swollen from that experience last night and got to bed really late. Um, but one of the things I did was was I actually watched the funeral. Um, on video because it just helps me to engage my heart really, really easily and very, very quickly. Like, within minutes, I'm there. And it's weird watching yourself give a eulogy at your own dad's funeral. And I remember one of the things that I I said um, was I really wanted to take a stance around the goodness of God. My my father um, had a glioblastoma, which is the most aggressive brain tumour that there is. Ultimately, that's not what killed him. He got pneumonia because of a fall, but he wouldn't have had the fall had he not had chemo, two brain surgeries and, um, and the like. So there was a relationship there. And I wanted to take a stand for the goodness of God. And one of the things I said right in the middle of it is, I will not implicate God in my father's death. I just will not do it. This didn't work out the way I wanted you know, this wasn't the ending that we planned. I still think he died before his time. But I will not implicate God in his death. In other words, I will not interpret my, what I don't know about my circumstances in such a way that gives that more authority than what I know to be true of who he is. That is just a stance that I will not move from, and that is he is absolutely good. He does not make people sick, and Jesus healed absolutely everyone that came to him. So if there's something missing, it's on my end, not on God's. That is just a stance that I will take. I'll talk more about that in a second. But what is your stance around who God is? Because right now, for some of you, your circumstances are challenging your view of God and your conviction about who God is in your life and who God is to you. And that's something you've got to make a choice about. It's one of the most important choices that you can make is who is he? What is he actually like? Because your circumstances will challenge it. What are your convictions about who you are? Your circumstances can challenge that one. Just that little thing that I told before around that annoying thing with a client actually was challenging my view of who I was. Was I actually an influential person? What are your convictions about what you're created for? Circumstances can challenge that one too. I remember having years of you know, sitting at a you know, relatively low level in an organisation um, and just, I wouldn't quite say I hated my life because there was lots of good things happening in my life. I was just abundantly bored and someone like me, being bored is way worse than being busy. It's just, a, you know, I love resting. I love switching off. I think I'm pretty good at it, sometimes a little too good at it. Um, I don't have a problem switching off, but I love sinking my teeth into something. And I was in a stage where you know, that was really challenged. And yet... I had to come to a place of what is my stance around who I am. And so what happened was I started to be who I was wherever I was rather than waited for my external circumstances or a title like pastor or leader or whatever to to come to me. I just decided, okay, well, if I am a pastor, I'm going to be it wherever I am. And the number of times people would tap me on the shoulder and say, can I just see you in a quiet room for a moment? You have this at your organisation all the time. She had her boss kind of come up with a folder full of stuff and said, Deb, can I just see you in the meeting room for a moment? 
They said, yeah, yeah, sure, and so off she goes. <laughs> and then the boss puts the folders down, pushes them to the side and says, I really need some help with my marriage. <laughs> now, it's just, we, we be who we are wherever we are. You don't let your external circumstances or your title or whatever decide who you are. We have a conviction. Who am I? What are your kingdom values and priorities? Because without them, you're like a ship without a rudder. You have no anchor, no, no true north. But circumstances come and they test our convictions. James chapter 1. And then I'll go to Romans 5 in a sec and then I'll land in a couple of other things and we'll kind of disembark at the terminal shortly. So I spend a lot of time on planes. Um, James 1, 2, you'll know this all. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Like, whoever wrote that really needs to see a psychologist. Like, what is that? Okay, was that just funny in my head? I just... Anyone else think, like, consider it pure joy when everything around you is resisting you. It's like, what? But here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So since we moved into this building, we've been talking about God is wanting us to grow up. Part of the journey of growing up is the world turns on us. And I'm just talking like the world as in the, the non-believer time. I'm just saying that life circumstances tend to turn on us and go in the exact opposite direction of everything that we're promised. And we start thinking, oh God, you've abandoned us. You're not there. But actually, no, it is the testing because it produces perseverance. And without perseverance, we don't grow up. In other words, if we can't endure when things aren't going our way, we stay incredibly immature. And then we complain that we're not influential. We complain that the things that are on our heart aren't happening. But it's not because God's blocked us. It's because we need to grow up. We need to, be stop, we need to stop being so addicted to comfort and actually lean into it. Romans chapter 5. Another one around perseverance. Not only so, Romans 5 verse 3, we, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Awesome again. Perseverance. <laughs> Dang. Perseverance, character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words... So we say, consider pure joy when you face trials because that's going to produce, the testing of your faith is going to help you to persevere. And you, they who persevere shalt grow up. <laughs> I just adapted that a little. Shalt. I just felt like there was a need for some King James English in there. <laughs> Those who learn to persevere actually grow up. And then Romans 5 says that perseverance produces character. Character and maturity go hand in hand. But here's the deal. Here's how we know that we're actually growing up and have some character in a key area of our life. The key marker is a little thing called hope. Hope. You know your character has grown in an area of your life when it is being tested and challenged and yet it's impregnated with hope. Yeah, and, and, and in our world, tested and challenged simply usually means things aren't going our way. 
And those of us that are parents get really annoyed when our kids chuck a tantrum when things don't go our own way, they go their own way. But how many of us honestly do that with God? Is it just me or is there someone else out there that does that? Is that a hand up there, Jen? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I know it was a stretch, but let's interpret that as agreement. I heard Bill Johnson say this in a podcast um, in the last week or so, where um, he talked about chickens, which of course just makes me hungry, but we'll get to that soon. (laughs) Well, I had to say circumstance, because if I said putting a stake in the ground, I would have also thought about food, and now I've just done that too. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Chickens. So little chicks, when they hatch out of an egg. So if you... Was, that was the one you were talking about, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, when you... If you actually break the egg for a little chick so that it comes out, it will die. Because the process of it breaking out of the shell actually creates the strength and the circulation in its limbs that helps it to actually live. So if you do it for it, you will kill it. And so many of the things, the testings of our faith, the the annoying circumstances when things don't go our way is like the eggshell that we are meant to learn to push against that thing because it's meant to build something in us so that we can bear up the weight of glory that he wants to actually release over us. But if he was to release it over us without the, the required strength, it would kill us. So he's trying to grow us. He's trying to grow our character. He's causing us to grow up because he wants you to carry a greater weight of glory. Chris Vallotton put out a prophetic word, um, a a plog, I called it. It's a prophetic blog, a plog. I liked it, thanks, yeah. Plog. Yeah, yeah. He says this, he said, in the last four or five months, I've heard more and more stories of people going through intense battles. Maybe you're one of them, or perhaps you know someone who's in the thick of warfare right now. I know that these people are close to a great victory, and I want to encourage you today with this thought. It's possible that the warfare in your life is happening because you've crossed over from the land of comfort into the land of courage. This is really cool. So this message that I'm doing, I've had this ready for about two and a half weeks, and I found this yesterday. So this is like, yes. And he's a prophet, so I must be onto something. I propose that the reason you're in warfare is not that you're a loser, but because you're a winner, you are more than a conqueror, which means you are born to conquer. I feel like there is an onslaught of fear right now because we're moving into enemy territory that has been occupied for years. Demonic forces that have held the planet in their clutches for generations are being broken. So the enemy is resisting you because you've come here to change the world. Not to control it or tell it what it's doing wrong, but to love the hell out of the earth. Come on, baby. As you take new ground, there's resistance pushing back against you. We see this play out in Scripture over and over again. There isn't one great character in the Bible that I admire who didn't have at least one great battle and an ultimate victory. It's the fact that they overcame obstacles that made them great. Think about it. There was so much warfare around David's life, Elijah's life, Esther's life, to name a few. When thinking of this, when thinking this through, it strikes me that the devil stalks greatness. If you're feeling stalked right now, take it as a really big compliment. 
Because if there's not something great inside of you that, that is wanting to be birthed out, the enemy can take a holiday on, in the Bahamas and leave you alone because there's just no point in investing energy in that. He's got a limited budget. They're not making new demons anymore. Okay, and the church is growing exponentially every single day. You may not hear that on the news, but it is. So that means he's got to be even more... Uh, it's the end of financial year, so this stuff's in my head too. He's got to be even more careful about his budget and where he uses it. So if we're, if we're not a threat, he's not going to waste resources. But if you're feeling stalked by the enemy right now, it's a compliment. It's a sign of greatness. Last, last paragraph I'll read. It goes on for a whole lot more, and it's really worth a read. Just go to chrisvalleton.com and you'll find it. Chris with a K. It's important to remember that you yourself were created to stalk the darkness. It's like, I just don't want to be stalked by darkness. No, you're meant to stalk it. We're on the winning side here. Do I need to say that again? Was this working? Like, you, you were created to stalk the darkness. You did not attain royalty without a purpose. One of the mandates of nobility is to leave the coming generations better off than how we receive the world. So it is incumbent upon us to enjoy the privilege of the palace along with the responsibilities of royalty. So if you're being stalked, please be deeply encouraged. Let me land with just a couple of quick things. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, in, I'll read Luke's version, Luke chapter 22. So we know the story fairly well. Verse 40 of Luke chapter 22. So on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Now, this is an incredibly important moment because we see him in a moment sweating drops of blood. That, if you know anything about stress, that's pretty full on, okay? That is, you know, when he says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death, I think he says in one of the, in one of the other gospel versions. That is, that's a pretty intense level of warfare at that point in time. And it, and it was a warfare with his own soul because he knew what he was about to go through. And when he, when he says, you know, he's going and rebuking the, the, the disciples for falling asleep and he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We often think he's talking to the disciples like you're falling asleep. Your spirit's willing to pray, but your flesh is weak. I actually think he was talking about himself in that moment. He said, you've got to get up and pray because my spirit is willing. I'm willing to go there, but my, my flesh is weak. Uh, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. I don't want to do this. That, that is the point of anguish that he's in. And then he says, yet not my wills, but, you, but yours be done. Important decision point. And then, verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. This is the key. On what side of the decision did the angel appear? The angel appeared after the decision. This is really, really important. We often want God to strengthen us to make the right decision. But I want to suggest the kingdom's a little different. This is why we need to grow up. This is why we need to enlarge. This is why we need a saved brain, a kingdom mindset. 
He strengthens you on the other side of the decision. In other words, he's not going to make the decision for you. We see this again. Second Chronicles 16.9, a lot of us know the verse. Yeah, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Yeah, we've quoted that verse. You know, many a preacher has preached that verse. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth. And it sounds very, you know, if you're an intercessor, it's like, oh, I love that stuff. You know, it just sounds really cool and spiritual and there's eyes and it's just awesome. Again, I'm ruining it again, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but he says, looking for those whose hearts are completely committed to him, that he may strengthen them. Again, which comes first? Did the strengthening come first in order to be fully committed? No, it was the other way around. In other words, the condition of the heart came first and the strength came second. In other words, we have to make a decision about the content of our heart, the content of our, of our, of our character, of how mature we're actually going to be. He wants to back you, but you need to give him something to back. He wants to back you, but he needs something to back. And he's not going to do it for you. You have to make the choice because this journey is a journey of faith, not a journey of sight. If we get the strength first, it's like, whoo, that's sight. It's like, I have it already. but he's wanting to pull something greater out of us. And that's so much of what this season is about. And if we check out on this season, it's like an open window. It feels like a crushing, thumping block of concrete, but it's actually an open window. (laughs) To say the choices you make right now are gonna determine the size of your territory in the next season. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, and this is in the message... Um, Eugene Peterson's version. Paul's saying, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. Day and night, you're in our prayers as we call to mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience uh, of hope in following our master, Jesus Christ, before God our Father. It is clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but has also put his hand on you for something special. And that kind of resonates. You know, I feel like God has put his hand on us as a community for something special. Then he says, when the message we preached came to you, it wasn't just words. Something happened in you. Here's the word. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. The Holy Spirit gave you convictions. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. Your convictions came first. Then the Holy Spirit came in and filled it with steel. This is what he's wanting to do in this season. This is not going to be comfortable, people. Many of us are experiencing this already. This is not comfort. This is all about character. This is all about maturity because he wants to release an influence on you and on us. But for us to be able to actually carry it without it ruining us or destroy us, there's a level of maturity we need that we haven't yet reached. So I was reflecting last night, as I said, as I, was watching the, um, as I was watching my dad's funeral and knowing what I was going to be going after today as well, and part of my reflection was, you know what, if I hadn't made some determinations 
in my own heart and spirit before I face that season. I don't know what the outcome would be in terms of where my own faith was at. Yet we've prayed and seen cancer heal before. And yet one of the people that mattered most to me, it didn't happen the way I wanted. And if I hadn't made some really clear choices about who God was for me and what he is like, that could have been a shipwreck moment. But I actually believe for me it was an upgrade moment. Because in the middle of the circum, I'm taking a stance. And I'm saying, this is who I know God to be. And this is in the middle of, you know, a group of people that have probably been taught that God brings sickness and yucky stuff in order to bring you closer. And I just went, mm, sorry, not buying that puppy. Because I know my God is good. And therefore, whatever comes at me, I declare what I know of who God is over it rather than let it declare over me what it thinks God is like. So he wants to back you. But he needs something to back. Let's stand up. I want us to dig into this a little bit more over the next couple of weeks in terms of what really are our convictions. What are our, um, what are our fixed stars? What are the things that we navigate by that don't move regardless of whatever storm is being thrown at us? So over the next, you know, over the next week or so, I really want you to just stir that over in your heart and start to get really clear and we'll do some things next week that will help to, to pull that out. But right now, for some of you, you have got circumstances in your life, stuff that's happening in your own heart and life that is challenging some of your convictions right now that is making you want to check out. And there's a very big part of me that wants to just pray strength over you right now that you might make the right choice. But I can't do that. What I need to do is encourage you with the stance of your own heart. And to say, what is the choice that you are going to make about who God is, about who you are, about who he is to you? What is the choice you're going to make? What I'd love to do, Jen and, and team, if you guys could come up, I want us to, I kind of feel like what we're meant to do at the end of this is is a corporate declaration in worship more than an altar call or a, you know, a praying individually. I feel like we're meant to make a declaration in worship, particularly about who God is and that's to be our stance for tonight but don't underestimate the power in spirit we're not just doing a song to finish a program right okay this is not the the karaoke bit at the end that helps us all feel good okay we're actually <laughs> been in church a while 
we're actually taking a stand in spirit. And we're declaring these words over our circumstances. What says more about the character of God? If he just demonstrates his own strength, you know, that can be really spectacular and that can look really cool. Or he actually has a people that actually carry the glory of God and demonstrate what he is like. See, see, this is the battle right now is really over the glory of God being manifested through you. That's what the battles in your life are right now. At what level will his glory be manifested through you? He could do just about anything, you know, and it would be really, really impressive. What's that Monty Python skip? Gee, we're all impressed down here. <laughs> you are so absolutely huge, you know. But no, his, his plan is to demonstrate his glory through you. He wants to back you, but he needs something to back. So let's make a declaration together. And I want to suggest that when we really get to this, that we declare it pretty darn loud. Regardless of how you feel, it's time we actually told our circumstances what the truth was. That's what this is about. You ready?